you want to um, open up your Bibles to, you can look briefly at Matthew 6 if you like. Um, we're going to spend more time in Ephesians 3 if you want to put your finger there. Um, we'll get to that in a few moments. <clears throat> I want to say thank you to Pete and to our deacons and to several other folks who stepped in last week when I was not feeling well. I had some, some version of the flu that's going around out there, and so I was... Um, yeah, grateful to be able to, to stay home and not share that with you guys, but also to recover and rest. Um, but also, Pete, I appreciated your message and just that invitation um, to see and be known by Jesus in our time of straining and storming, um, and just to remember that, that in, in him is, is life and life to the full and, and only in him and in his presence. So that was a, a good word to me last week in the place I was in. We, we took a, a break from our series on prayer last week, and we're stepping back in where I had intended uh, to share from last week. We'll be stepping into that passage today. So if you've been um, following along in our book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, today and this week we'll be in chapter 3, thinking about uh, prayers that direct us to who our Father in Heaven is, and prayers primarily designed to sort of help us understand what adoration looks like in our prayer lives. We've had a, a couple kind of preparatory steps up to now to get us to this place. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, we've, we've talked about how do we begin to think about prayer, cultivating prayer as, as part of our whole life, part of our daily rhythm and routine, not just something that happens on a Sunday morning or even for a few moments in each day, but, but we we're praying as we can. We've also talked about the, the pace that's necessary, a kind of slowing down, a kind of stillness um, that, that maybe sometimes means actually physically stopping and being completely still or silent, but also just in the way we're, we're taking on the pace of life and all that's coming at us, how do we begin to, to notice more and more that God is present? God wants to, to speak to us, minister to us. Um, how, do we, how do we cultivate those postures of prayer in our lives? That's sort of where we've been up to now in this series. Today, though, we, we start to think about how does prayer then actually continue? What, what do we say? What do we do when it, it actually comes time to pray and to speak to God and with God? And it just so happens that Jesus anticipates that that question would be coming from us. He anticipated that his disciples would ask him that question. And so in a few of the Gospels, we get a very specific and, and explicit way to pray from Jesus. And we actually just prayed that together a few moments ago when I was leading our prayer time, right? It's, it's the Lord's prayer. Jesus... Uh, gives us permission not to need lots of words to pray to God, not to, to have a lot of lingo, not to need to make an impression in God's presence. Instead, he says, when you come to pray, don't, don't worry about all that you, you need to say, but instead pray in this way. Pray in this fashion. Right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is a lot contained in this brief prayer. And we'll, we'll be exploring different corners and, and pieces of this prayer in the weeks ahead. But today I want us to, to focus our attention just on the first eight words that Jesus gives us here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me pray for us collectively as, as we come to God's word and, and ask that our hearts and minds and lives would be appropriately postured to, to respond to and receive these words. Lord, thank you that when it comes to prayer, we're not left to our own devices. We have a wonderful teacher, first and foremost in you, Jesus, the Son. You desire to show us what it is to pray, how to pray, what it's like to be in the Father's presence. You've given us your spirit to live in us and to to intercede in ways, to, to make that, that kind of prayer a reality for us, even in, in things we can't express with words. Lord, as we come to your word now, would you make it possible that the words of my mouth, the meditations and prayers of each of our hearts would be pleasing, would be aligned, um, would be informed by you. It's in your name we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In, in the third chapter of, of the book, author Tyler Staten says that these first words of Jesus' prayer are put there as a kind of reminder for us about who it is we're talking to. Right? When we pray, we're not praying into the great abyss. We're not praying into the air. We're praying with someone, to someone. It's a conversation. This first part in Jesus' prayer teaches us to take a moment to remember who it is we're talking to. What is this person like? That's where, where adoration comes in, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Imagine with me that you had, had made plans this week to have dinner with someone special. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a, a close friend. And you, you'd taken the time to carve out space in your calendar so that you could, you could get there this week. You took the time to think about an appropriate place, a special place you wanted to go and, and meet up. Called the, the, the restaurant, you made reservations. And you managed to, to wind down your work day that week. You, you make your way to the restaurant. They seat you at a table. You finally sit down and you take a deep breath. Right? That, that's a significant amount of preparation for the event you're about to, to participate in. But now with all of those sort of preliminary things out of the way, right, the next thing that happens is you can finally turn your attention to the person seated across the table from you. You can, can do what you've come there to do, which is to connect face-to-face -face with this person leisurely over a good meal. 
right? Hopefully in that, that moment when you finally sit down to the table, you remember why you've prioritized this time in your week. In a similar way, as, as prayer becomes something that we're intentional about, we, we choose to do, we're, we're finding ways to pray as we can and, and for it to be part of our schedules, part of our rhythms, part of our routines. As we learn to, to come to those times of prayer and, and to settle ourselves down and, and to be seated and to take a deep breath and, and to pay attention to where it is we've arrived, the next logical step is, is to look across that table and to see the one we're with as we pray. To notice the God who has also set aside time to be with us, who seeks and desires that time with us. And I think that's where these, these eight words in Jesus' prayer come in. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying an awful lot here with only a few words. But Jesus is, is saying that when we come to pray, we come into the presence of someone beautiful. Someone holy. Someone infinite. Someone perfect. Some, someone in some ways so different from us seated across that table looking at us. Someone hallowed, Jesus says. But in the same breath, Jesus also says that this transcendent, perfect someone, our God, looks back across the table at us with the tenderness, with the welcome with the knowledge of a father. But the God we come to in prayer is both awesome and intimate. And that, that prayer is designed to be a place, an experience where, where we taste of both of those, those parts, those facets of who God is. So let's, let's talk about what the experience of adoration, what the experience of coming to sit in God's presence or to be in God's presence is like. One of the books that I, I really enjoyed during my sabbatical time was uh, a book on prayer by Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's a Swiss theologian from a number of years ago. And he's a, he's a contemplative guy. He's a, he's a Catholic monk. He spends a lot of his time contemplating what it is to look upon, to be in the presence of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And how does prayer shape us? How does it change who we are as we experience the reality of God? But at the beginning of that book on prayer, he talks about experiencing the different facets of what he calls God's gaze. What is it like for God to look upon us as his people and for us to look back at him? One of the first facets he describes is, is drawn from the the imagery throughout scripture that God is light. God is, is, is one whose face shines forth on his creation and reveals who he is. But that, that when God shines forth as light, there's, there's power and brilliance and, and glory to that. There's a life in God's light. And so Balthazar describes as he, as he prays and, and meditates on that image, he says, he, he pictures a sun 
that transfigures the countryside. A sun that bathes everything in its colors and warms it and begins to render the land fruitful. A sun that instills its energy and its light into things so deeply until they too become capable of growing and blossoming and bearing fruit from that light. Rathadar says when, when God looks upon us, when we sense the, the hallowedness, the holiness of God as creator and illuminator and sustainer, we, we can know in our souls that our existence, our identity, that everything we are comes back to him, is dependent on him, sustained by him. When we sense the hallowedness of God, we sense our own dependence and need. God is the light of the world. He is glorious. And so, so part of coming into prayer and, and beginning to experience adoration is, is like those moments when you gaze upon a sunrise. Or maybe you step outside on a day when, when you can feel the warmth of sun on your skin. And you just bask in it for a few moments. We're we're designed as creatures to notice the glory of God, the goodness of God as creator, as light, as life, as the one we owe our existence to, who is fully other and and in some ways is mysterious in his his grandeur and glory. But if if that's part of gazing upon God and adoring who God is, noticing his otherness, Jesus on the other hand, invites us to also experience in those moments of adoration that the one who is eternal light, the one who is hallowed, the one who is creator, the one who is magnificent, full of power, Jesus says, go to that one and call him daddy. Call him Abba. Be with him as your father. Part of adoration is also beholding God's presence and becoming childlike in it. Becoming unashamed in God's presence. Connecting with God in a special way, in an intimate way. Many of you are probably familiar with Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. He's on his way to becoming maybe the best point guard in the history of the game. But there was a a point, I think it was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, as he was emerging as superstar in the playoffs one year, he he came after an important game to that post-game press conference when everybody has a million questions and, you know, the spotlight is on you and what you just did on the basketball court. And he did something unusual. He showed up at the press conference with his two-year-old daughter, Riley, sitting on his lap. Um, and as the you know, media were asking all of these questions, she, she sort of stole the show from her dad. She started taking questions. She was, she was asking her dad questions. She wanted you know, his attention. And there, there was you know, maybe a, a, a range of reactions and opinions about that particular moment. 
And some people felt that it was sort of unprofessional or not, or not the right move as a dad or, you know, that, that really didn't have a place in the game of basketball. But I, I felt like Curry almost did this intentionally to send a message, right? That as he was becoming this, you know, global figure and a superstar and a face of the NBA, that he was also just a normal human being, that he was a dad and that he was a father and that that before the media had access to him or before all of these other, other things and, and parts of his identity came to play, right? He, he wanted his own daughter to know that she had first access to him, VIP access to him as her father, that that ultimately was his, his greatest desire. The New Testament tells us that, that when we begin to learn how to pray like Jesus teaches us, pray to our Father who is hallowed in heaven but wants us to be close to him, that as we learn that, that kind of praying, that the instinct Riley had with her MBA superstar dad, that some of that same instinct should take root in us in the way that, that we know and, and feel free to access and to be close to and to spend time with the God who is our Father. The New Testament is actually full of words that, that tell us we should have boldness, we should have confidence. We, we, we should have great, great joy in the presence of our God and Father, not, not fear not reticence. But for most of us, right, we, we probably need to relearn that childlike instinct in prayer. Too often it's been sort of drubbed out of us by experiences with prayer that are overly sanctimonious, right, that are so serious that we can't even sense what it's like to be with God in that way. As a as a transcendent being, yes, but a, a father who would put us on his own lap. So we need help. We need teachers. And Jesus is one of those teachers. But I want to spend a few moments this morning looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, particularly his prayer life, one of his, his prayers. And how he himself learned to come to God and, and to pray to God and to experience God's presence as a father. We know that, that Paul, formerly Saul, is a guy with abundant religious and relational baggage in his life. All kinds of things that were drilled into him from an early age about what it meant to, to come to God and to be pleasing to God and to serve God. Much of which he had to unlearn later in his life. But we also know from the New Testament that Paul is someone whose life and his prayer life were transformed when he met the person of Jesus. Right? First in a dramatic way on the Damascus Road, but then again and again he met Jesus and began to know Jesus in his prayer life. Paul wrote a, a letter to the Ephesian church, or the, the group of churches in that region, which we now call the Book of Ephesians. And, and in that letter, there's all kinds of prayer language going on. But so much of it comes back again and again 
these, these couple words about being in Christ. Right, we've studied the book of Ephesians here at JCC, and, and you know that, that the whole book is kind of a meditation on what does it mean for us to be persons in Christ, in Jesus. What's it like when our lives get joined to Jesus' life in the same way Paul experienced in his own? And if I were going to try to recap sort of the first half of the book of Ephesians for you in 30 seconds. It's this idea that, that Jesus has come down in human form. Jesus has come as the incarnate Son of God, uniquely perfect, uniquely faithful. But he's come down to meet us in the place where we're actually at. Paul talks about Jesus meeting us in the place of our sin and alienation and death and darkness. And when Jesus meets us there, he comes and he says, I want to give my life in exchange for yours. I know that you are dead in your sin. You've got all this stuff interfering with your connection with God the Father. But I want to put my place, my life in your stead, in your place. I want you to know the Father in the way I know him. And it says that, that Jesus exchanged his life for ours. He died for us even when we were sinners. But more than that, Jesus, after experiencing death, was raised up to new life by the Father. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that he, he continued in that resurrection to ascend, to sit now at the right hand of God the Father and to intercede for us. And I think that the point of all that is that, that now Jesus is at this, this place of intimacy and access with his daddy. And if we are in Christ, we are there too, Paul says. We're meant to be there too. We're meant to experience that relationship too in the same way. And so about halfway through Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, in Christ Jesus, if we're in him, if we have faith in him, then we may now approach God with freedom and confidence. Boldness, intimacy, access, right? Despite God's incredible holiness, God's incredible hallowedness, God's incredible otherness, the thing God desires most is to be in relationship with us, for us to be right there beside him, just as Jesus the Son is. And so we, we come Jesus, Paul says, to learn how, to learn how to trust, how to be, how to pray, how to exist in that space, how to lean into calling God our Father in heaven. And I want to look at, at how Paul continues. He says, so you know you have this place of access. You should have confidence and boldness to come to God our Father in this way. And then Paul continues two verses later by giving us an example of that kind of adoration and prayer in practice. Paul gives us his own Our Father prayer in, in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following. Let me read that to you. Paul says, For this reason... 
by which I think he's pointing back to all the stuff that Christ has done to make it possible for us to come into the presence of our Father. For this reason, because of all of who Christ is and all of who we can be when we are in Christ, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in this love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's straining at words and pulling in all kinds of images here to help us get a sense of what it's like pray in an an adoring way, in a gazing way upon God the Father through the access Jesus the Son gives us. I think we can learn a couple things from Paul in his prayer here. Number one, we we can sense the freedom, the confidence with which Paul prays to the Father here. Paul is praying boldly in this passage. Paul knows he's invited into the Father's presence in this passage. This is a place he spends time. He regularly comes. It's not foreign to him. He wants to describe it for us in great detail. But from that place of freedom and confidence in God the Father's presence, number two, verses 16 and 17, Paul wants to ask for something. Right? He's comfortable enough with who God the Father is that he knows what the Father has also belongs to him, that, that God would invite him to ask for what's needed or what's desired. And so as Paul is thinking about us, he's thinking about the church, he's thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's in the presence of God the Father. He says, out of all the glorious riches you possess, God, out of all the power that you have, out of all the goodness of who you are, Paul asks God for one thing in particular. God says, would you make a way, would you make it possible for Jesus to live in us as people? Right? That Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Why does Paul pray for this above everything else? Because he knows that being in Christ, that having Jesus at the center of who we are, is is the key for us to know our Father. It's the key for us to begin to to pray in the way that Jesus has taught us to pray. We, We don't discover this intimacy and access to God without knowing Jesus, without Jesus leading the way, without Jesus interceding for us and through us and in us. It's in Christ Jesus that we come with confidence and freedom before the Father. 
Jesus is the one who teaches us who we're talking to when we pray. And so the, the whole of the rest of that prayer is, is Paul trying to figure out what, what does it look like for us to, to get our lives into Christ so that we might experience the, the incredible, kind of indescribable vastness of the Father's love. And so he actually, he's sort of borrowing like at least three metaphors all at once in this prayer. Right? First, he wants us to know what it's like for Christ to make his home in us. Right? For the, there to be this sort of metaphysical reality of Jesus being at home in our bodies, in our persons, in our souls, in our lives. Then he adds to that this sort of organic uh, metaphor of, of roots in a tree of some kind. Right? That, that as Jesus makes his home in our hearts, that there would be like our roots going down deep into the soil of God's love. And that that would nurture us and grow us and, and fill us with this incredible sense of adoration and wonder. But also strength in the love God has for us. And then just as he's building that metaphor, then he switches to this metaphor of, of architecture and dimensionality, and, and a temple rising around us in which we, we sort of find ourselves inside of and inhabiting the love of God, noticing it, adoring it, looking on its splendor, right? Knowing how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God for us in Christ. That last metaphor makes me makes me think of stepping into a great cathedral. If you've ever been to Montreal or, or some other part of the world and, and stepped into one of the, the great worship spaces of our faith. Maybe you've, you've had just sort of a, a small taste of the, the kind of awe Paul is describing here. Or maybe if, if you've looked up into the night sky and the, the vastness that it, it sort of speaks to us. Right? Those are experiences you can't necessarily explain in words. You, you, you more feel them in your person. Paul wants us to have the taste in our own prayer lives of what it's like to plant our feet in the, the rich soil of God's love, to have this, this unshakable anchor of Christ at the center of who we are, but then to begin to gaze up and to look upon the vastness, to let our eyes wander over the height and depth and length of God's love for us. Right? To sense how, how capacious it is. Paul wants us to experience prayer as being loved in a way that goes beyond telling or talking about. That's, that's the prayer of adoration. And I think that's what Jesus is, is beginning to open the door to when he teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus wants us to gaze upon the God who made us, who knows us, the God who loves us. And he wants us to know what it's like when that God looks back at us in return what that says about who we are and whose we are. 
This is the, the gift of adoration. And so this, this week, as we move forward and, and cover maybe a, a little more, cultivate a little more ground in our life of prayer, I want you to see if you can practice specifically this kind of adoration in the week ahead, of, of gazing at God, at adoring God, at rediscovering the one you're talking to when you pray, remembering what he's like. At the end of the, the book, the third chapter, there's a few ideas uh, that might help prompt you to experience adoration as a form of prayer. One is to use a short uh, passage of scripture. And I would say the Psalms are a great place to go for this. Um, some of the prophetic books, uh, some of Jesus' teaching, any, any passage of scripture that speaks specifically to who God is, what he's like. And there's incredible poetry in the scriptures that helps us imagine the things that, that our, our brains can't, can't fully you know, reduce down to a rational precept. But, but take those words of scripture and, and pray them, meditate upon them, sit with them, imagine them. Let them draw your eyes toward what God is like, who God is, his hallowedness, his holiness. The goal in in adoration is not necessarily to study a passage and to master it intellectually, but, but to allow that passage to resonate in your heart and your soul as prayer. So, so scripture can be a great way to do this. Maybe bringing a hymnal home if you don't have one um, or, or putting some worship music on that helps you, you move into that adoring gaze. Right? Singing or maybe hearing worship sung and, and receiving that praise as a, a form of worship. Again, moving your gaze upward into adoration. A third way that's mentioned in the chapter is if, if you know, those other two are, are areas you're exploring, you might also explore um, using gratitude as a way to direct your gaze toward God. You know, taking a few moments to notice the really concrete and tangible things in your life that have come from God's hand to you. Maybe those are, are moments of connection with family or friends. Maybe they're things of beauty that you can, you can focus on. Maybe they're moments in the past day where you've sensed God's presence. But that sort of, you know, gratitude can be a way of tracing the gifts of God back to the giver of God, right? to, to remember what he's like, to see his face, and to give thanks to him. So I, I want to um, pray for us that we might experience the joy, the pleasure of, of adoration prayer this week. Lord, we have been formed and made to know you. As Augustine prayed, our hearts are restless until they, they find their home. Until our hearts find their home in Christ Jesus and in the presence of the Father. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that we would each one know the pleasure, the peace, the goodness of this gift noticing and being with the God who has made us to be praying beings. Would you give us your help? Would you give us your spirit to do this in the week ahead? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.